Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Poetry Space. This is episode 47, and we are talking about what I think might be the most oft-repeated word in poetry besides poem and poetry, because even as I prepare for this space, I see that one of my windows up is just submissions. So we are going to be talking about all things submissions today. I am shocked we made it this far into the poetry space without having a whole topic, uh, a whole episode to discuss this topic. So how are you doing today, Timothy Green? I didn't say my full name. Every time I say your full name, I remember I didn't say my own. Darn it. Well, hi, Katie. So great to be here. Um, and you know, thanks for doing this show. It's going to be a fun one, I guess, talking about submissions. I think it's a, a terrible word too, which maybe we'll talk about that aspect, but submissions. Um, and I thought uh, we'd start out with this quick poem to open it up. Um, and I feel like this is a little bit like the a metaphor maybe for the submission process. I'm not sure if it's actually intended that way, but it feels like an extended metaphor kind of poem. This is from Nasreen Yazdani. Uh, it's from our tribute to first publication. So this was an issue we did back in 2018 of uh, people who had never published a poem before. Uh, rattle number 61. This is how to turn off a ceiling fan. Pull one of the cords. Is it off? Pull the cord again. Is it off? Pull the other cord. Pull both cords like you're milking a really tall cow in the wind. Is it off? Pull the cord twice. No, the other cord. Is it slowing down or speeding up? Wait, stay calm. Look for signs. It's slowing down. Is it slowing down or turning off? Call a psychic. <laughs> and that's it. That's the little poem from yeah, Nasreen Yazdani. And I think that poem sort of represents the feeling we have when we make submissions. <laughs> We're just uh, trying to do some kind of magic. You need a psychic to figure out what's actually going on because it's such a secretive, uh, dark process in the background. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and it feels that way, you know, from both sides. You know, now that I have my new experience on the side of, of fielding submissions and looking at them and everything, it's funny how... Uh, it feels sort of mystical from both sides in this way that I that I hadn't quite predicted. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. It's, uh, you know, when you send out submissions, you just have no idea who's on the other end really reading and, and what their reaction is. And then you get this sort of canned response in the background. Um, I, I, do you want me to read another poem since that was so short? Because this is... Uh, this is how it used to feel. <laughs> this is uh, from 2004. Do you remember Eric Campbell's poem, Poet and Audience? Oh, yeah. Please read that. <laughs> and I also, this is great for me personally, because 2004 was like when I first sent out my first poetry submission, like high school, <laughs> like really trying to get out there. So please read this. Yeah, because I don't know if people, I mean, maybe some people out there remember when poetry submissions used to come in the mail and you'd used to, you know, mail them in, you'd wait for your SASE to come back. Does people even know what an SASE is anymore? I'm not even sure. Self-addressed stamped envelope. I'm so proud of myself. Sorry. A self-addressed stamped envelope. So this was Eric Campbell's, you know, take on the same feeling with submissions. This is called Poet and Audience. It's two sections. Part one, the argument. You wondered why you weren't published. It's because the postman has opened all your submissions and kept them tucked, kept them tucked to your words, as it were, under his proverbial federal wing. And just so you know, your love poems work. He reads them to his wife in bed before what has recently become the most lyrical sex. He even adds a few verbs here and there for the sake of flow. Two, the consolation. But you'll be pleased to know he generally leaves your enjambment alone and understands the way irony goes, a fulcrum for your failure in his formerly elegiac evenings, which he now has addiction and courage to call epiphanic. His only regret is that you aren't more prolific. So, so the submission anxiety is something that uh, dates back at least to 2004, but much longer than that, of course. Yeah, it definitely is. It's sort of, you know, it requires giving up control. So in that, in that sense, Submission is sadly the right word, but I, I think, you know, maybe we should start with that, with talking about how archaic and bad the language is. Um, after, you know, talking about this in your curation article, Tim, that you went into and, and just pointed it out, and the, the word submission is just, I mean, I think it's really part of the problem. Yeah, well, there's so much, I mean, the, the word submission implies dominance, like there's a sort of dominance hierarchy in the whole concept, which I hate, as you know, that editors are somehow gatekeepers and that we're like you know bearing your 
ability to move up a higher rung on some imaginary ladder. I think it's such a silly way to think about it all. And, you know, so submitting to some higher authority, you know, you know, bowing down in supplication is just, um, I don't know, an embarrassing way to talk about it. And I have no idea how it even started. Maybe, uh, maybe Mark Danowski or someone else has an idea where that origin came from. But, uh, but it's a really weird way to talk about it. And even, you know, the, the idea of acceptance and rejection too, which is, is part of the whole, the whole concept of, of some kind of hierarchy that you're submitting to. And it's just a really gross way to talk about it all. I don't like, I, I like the idea of like, I'm offering people poems to publish, you know, and if I am reading them as an editor, I'm offering to publish them if I like them and I'm curating this group of poems that I like. I think that's such a better way to think about it than accepting and rejecting submissions. It's just terrible terminology. Yeah, it definitely is. I, and I think from both sides, you know, uh, not that I've been guilty of this or anyone in this room that I'm aware of, but I could totally see being like, well, yes, I'm reading the submissions that have been sent in to me. Like, I think it's really easy to get into some sort of, you know, villain type mindset with that kind of terminology that places people in this role. And I, I'm with you, too, with hating the word rejection, because, you know, I read, you know, I read almost 500 poems this month for, you know, for the prompt poems for Rattle. And I hate the idea that everybody but one person was rejected. No, there were many poems in there that touched me, that made me want to grow as a poet, that were really inspiring. And I didn't reject them. They just didn't get the one out of 500 slot that one of the poems did. Yeah, I mean, especially when the numbers are this this big. I was just talking to uh, Terry Miller, who, did I see him in the audience? Uh, he was talking about um, reducing the number of entries, capping the number of entries on it. Thing he's doing and um and and but talking about like when we get the rattle chapbook prize we talked about chapbooks last week we have two thousand um you know books that that are submitted for the for the contest and there'll be dozens that are worth publishing that we'd be happy to publish and then you sort of rank them and you pick the ones that um that you like the most or you think are most interesting uh, but um but but the idea that all all of them were rejected when i would have been so thrilled to publish, you know, at least two dozen, and that's a tiny percentage even so, but still, you know, and then even more, it's not like it's rejecting your sort of soul just by passing and not, not thinking a book is uh, especially interesting to you personally, doesn't mean anyone's rejected, it's just that this isn't the book of all the books I want to publish. So it's a strange way to talk about it and think about it. Yeah, and then to a lesser extent, just that you said one exception, acceptance. I have only accepted your poem. Like, that's the best we're shooting for here is to be accepted. It's <laughs> just really funny, too. Well, in a weird way, the language, um, you know, it, it sort of bubbles up subconsciously for what we really think. And so much of what the poetry world is about, or just the literary world in general, is you get this encouragement when you're young that what you're writing is, like, especially good or especially noteworthy and you get this little pat on the back from a teacher or a parent or somebody, and then we're trying to recreate that feeling. And so it is a feeling of acceptance deep down. And it is a, it is a request for acceptance too. And I think um, there, that's so much on the undercurrent of sort of the, you know, the, the dopaminergic reward systems that under we do, that's so much there deep down. Yeah, that's definitely something too, that for, for my own experience, you know, before I got published, I felt very much like that. And then, you know, what really broke me out feeling that kind of need, of course, I still want to be published the places, you know, I'm, I'm way more picky about where I submit now. Um, but I don't need that external validation. And I think that's really important. You should not be writing so that your submissions are accepted. Um, if so, that that you're just it's just going to lead to disappointment. I mean, there are so many poems, there are so many submissions and, you know, there are so many things that you can't control in poker. <laughs> one of my poker friends had this term called the bacon factor. So I played online poker so I could make an action that forced somebody to have to make another action or else I would win the hand. And my friend Owen would always say, well, and you've got the bacon factor like they could be cooking bacon, have to run out. And then you win the hand because of that. I mean, poetry, there's, there is a random component, of course. It doesn't mean that the poem I picked last month was actually quantifiably somehow the best poem. It was the best poem I felt for the month, for the time, for the moment. Yeah, and there's a, you know, there are a whole bunch of things. I mean, there's one study in criminology that's kind of famous where um, court cases, I think this was in Israel it was done, but court cases decided where the judge was um, making the decision right before lunchtime 
or something like twice as likely to be approved than um, the ones at the very end of the day if you're always about to go home. And so, um, you know, that kind of stuff happens too. The mood you're in really determines what uh, your opinions of so many things. Like think about a movie. There's some movies you've seen at the movie theater or something and you're in a bad mood and you hated the movie. Then you come back years later and you say, actually, that was a pretty good movie. Well, a lot has to do with your opinion at the time and just your emotional state as you read the poems, which is why I think as Netter, it's important to read in tears, which I know you already do, Katie, because there's no other way to do it at this volume with um, even 500 a month, let alone the, you know, that's uh, how many we get. But as long as you do it sort of spread out over time, you can mitigate that factor. But there's still so much that goes into it. There's been times where, you know, a poem, a submission doesn't make the sort of initial first cut. And then it turns out to be, it would have been a great poem that we'd have liked. So when people ask sometimes if they can resubmit a poem, I always say, go ahead, because maybe I made a mistake. And uh, I think I can only think of one time where that actually happened. And we went on to publish the poem. But, uh, but it did happen that one time. So you just never know uh, when you're, uh, you're gonna, your mood is going to be determining your opinion of something, as opposed to uh, your objective uh, perspective on it. Yeah, that's super. And that's something I'm trying to be super aware of, too, as I get more and more into this, which is just making sure that I'm not, you know, overly weighting the own, my own personal, you know, connection to a poem versus the poem in and of itself. And I really love, you know, the way that I've learned to, to field submissions from you, which I think maybe people would be, you know, curious to, to hear a little bit more about. So when I was reading the submissions for the prompt poems for last month, so it was about 500. And what I do is I start by reading through all of them and then I mark them if I think they're worthy of kind of like, and I hate that, see, I'm already sounding snobby. I use the word worthy, listen to me, I'm awful. If they're, if they're close enough that they're making it to the next round, like they could conceivably end up being the poem of the month. And I would say I whittle that down to about, uh, about 10% or so. And from there too, I find ones that have like, have real merit, like in terms of something I immediately pops out to me that I love about the poem. And that's when I tend to send a personalized rejection for that. But I read it again. And then the top few, the top handful, I read a bunch of times. I read out loud. Most of the time I read out loud to Tim and go through it on that kind of a level. And that really helps me with submissions, making it through that. So I would say one thing is, of course, making sure that your poem that, that you submit is something that ideally gets better the more times that it's read. Yeah, I, I think worthy is a fine word to use, actually, because it is it's sort of the first thing you're looking for is uh, understanding and control of the English language, you know, any kind of the kind of music of speech. There's actually something there to a voice and you don't have to really pay attention to the content to hear it or to understand that people know how commas work or how, you know, sentences work and how verbs work, you know, there's really a basic level that you're sort of looking for in that first read. And you don't really pay attention to content at all. Um, you know, it, it, you know, once you, once somebody has the ability to write a line of poetry, then you can worry about content. So it really, it sort of is that way. And you just go through, you know, phases like that. So when, um, you know, sometimes you come across a poem when you're in that phase and it just grips you. Like it happens all the time with Poets Respond. There'll be 200 poems in the Poets Respond queue. I'll be reading like the number 53. I'm really just like filtering out what's worth paying attention to, basically. And then uh, and then I'll just accidentally read the whole poem and be engrossed and think, oh, well, everyone else is competing against that poem today now. Uh, and that happens all the time. And, you know, so it's sort of this, this sense like you're not really you don't have to read much and then you look at it later and i think that's that's a problem i imagine that's how everybody else does it we have some other editors here you can see how they do it too um but but i think that's the only way to do it is sort of tear it and and divide your it's sort of like um making your, your own division of labor for your brain as you're reading i think that's the way to do it and the way to think of it so you wouldn't you know build a car by putting one piece apart together at a time, like Ikea furniture, you got to put it in an assembly line. And the first step is to call out the stuff that has no chance because the, the language isn't up to any kind of par. And then, you know, looking at the finer and finer detail, maybe a better example is, is looking at a microscope where you have that macroscopic lens, then you zoom in more and more. Maybe that's a better way to think about it. But, but to do it in phases and steps like that and tier it is I think the only way to do it. And so I think, I imagine that's how everybody does it because I don't know how else you would. Well, I'm glad that I was handed the correct way to do it from the beginning because I feel like I lucked out. And I'm glad Mark Donowski's putting his hand up because I was about to bring him up to talk anyway. So we have Mark to thank for today's space. Actually, Tom Barlow, who messaged me, 
Mark Danowski, the editor of One Art, he emailed me the Lit Mag News article that he recently published on January 4th called Dear Lit Mag, Stop Making Submission Guidelines So Complicated. And I really agree with this article. I'll go ahead and, as Mark is saying hi, pin it to the top for anybody that happened not to see it. But it's an excellent article. And Mark, you make really good points in it. So thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I would have been really sad if you couldn't join us today. So I'm glad that you can. Oh, thanks, Katie. Uh, glad to be here, of course. And good conversation so far. There's, there's already so much to discuss. <laughs> um, so yes, I agree. The language issue is definitely a huge problem. And I do mention it in the essay um, and immediately in the comments uh, on LitMag News. You'll see that there's a little bit of, uh, not blowback, but you know, people didn't like, uh, I say the word decline is floated as a vaguely more polite substitute for rejection. Um, or, you know, people saying that we're going to, we're going to pass editors say that fairly often. Um, none of those suggestions were really loved either. Um, it also made me think of, and this isn't in there, how I see often uh, a statement that poets have really mixed feelings about getting feedback. Um, some people actually prefer no feedback, like a simple form rejection to getting any kind of personalized feedback, which seems to be a whole can of worms. Um, in response, I feel like I should just you know say a couple of things. Tim mentioned the judge study, which I re recall correctly, uh, I think it was the proximity to lunchtime, um, specifically being a big factor, but if it was too close to lunch and the judge was you know hungry or perhaps hangry, um, that that was what was thought to have altered decision-making. And that sort of triggered me to think of uh, also what was just being brought up um, about sort of how to determine, you know, what you like as far as poems and, you know, the terrible word submissions. And uh, I, I had to quickly Google this uh, for a reference point. But, you know, the classic know it when you see it, um, which was from an Ohio Supreme Court case on the subject of pornography, um, which unfortunately isn't really what I'd love to be comparing poetry to. Uh, but I do feel like as far as the things that you want to curate, um, there is a, a big note when you see it factor. Um, and then what definitely I'd love to discuss is the process Tim was talking about having to work in a sort of tiered manner to go through submissions. And I, I think that must work a little bit differently when editors are publishing issues versus a journal like one art, which publishes daily. Um, so we could talk about that. Sure. Well, how do you go about it? That's different, Mark. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So the newest strategy is, uh, you know, as submissions have um, been increasing uh, over time, is trying to quickly determine what is a clear pass or decline, we'll say, um, and sending out those um, rejections, <laughs> just to say it as it is, uh, just sending those immediately, um, because I do try to stick, uh, as I essentially promise to a very fast turnaround time since the, the journal is designed from the get-go to be very writer-friendly. So um, same-day rejections, not at all uncommon. I try to do it in under three days. Um, Duotrope will tell you that, you know, there's sort of a max five intention. Um, I try to give myself, in theory, a week. Uh, that's pretty much never happened unless something went in the spam folder by accident and I found it later. Um, but yeah, usually one or two days is the standard response time. So basically, I just am culling all of the material that has no shot. Um, things that stick out to me, I'll flag and then I'll go back to. Um, I've tried to get in that practice as opposed to, um, so I'm in sort of more of um, kind of not a you know, flow state necessarily, but instead of essentially multitasking and going back and forth between sending acceptances and rejections and then going and putting material into my publication calendar in Excel 
and then writing acceptance notes that are individualized or personalized projections to, you know, um, uh, uh, oftentimes increasingly more personalized projections will, will go to, um, I wanted to say repeat offenders, but um, I actually mean uh, people that have been regular contributors, um, which is a subject that I wanted to get into separately, um, which I believe is actually something that Bethany Charmel mentioned um, about the behind the scenes we could talk about um, if, uh, if we get there. But uh, regarding regular contributors, I've started to ask uh, Louisa Schneidman, who is consulting editor, uh, to often have the first read um, when it comes to people who have become regular contributors. Uh, and part of that is I think there's sort of an inevitable implicit bias that comes from the editor kind of learning to think of a writer as a regular contributor. So I'd rather get an outside opinion first before I start going through those poems um, and formulating my own opinions. So, uh, Mark, how many submissions do you get like per day and how many hours do you spend reading them? Not as much as you, I suspect, uh, as far as the, the time commitment and definitely the quantity. Um, it ranges submission numbers between about 20 and 50 right now. Um, and the time, I, I'm almost reluctant to say because it can actually be startlingly fast. Um, I've gotten through, say, like 40 submissions in like 45 minutes before. Um, but it, it really depends on uh, the the caliber of the submissions. If it's if it's all rejections, um, I can get through them very quickly. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, you know I don't I think we're very open about as editors. Maybe is how fast you can go through when you're doing that initial read, looking for the stuff that's worth thinking about later. And when as soon as you hear a good line, you just throw it into the maybe pile, and then you read that later. You move through those. I mean it. 30 seconds of submission for four poems is not really that long. I remember when we went to, um, when we went from just having email submissions and we have Gmail supporting our uh, email system. And so you can flip through submissions with Gmail servers really quickly. When we first moved to Submittable 10 years ago, um, it took about three or four seconds for a page on Submittable to load the, uh, the preview. And that was an actual like significant drag on time that like changed the, <laughs> the amount of time it took to read submissions, just having to wait for them to load before you started to read the poems. Um, and so we really, I, I think you can move fast and, you know, occasionally you might make mistakes, but I do go back and audit and look sort of more closely sometimes before turning the poem down to make sure I sort of do random, look at a few poems here and there. Um, you know, I check when Megan's reading them, I, uh, I check, what she's picked and, and look at some random poems there just every time as I've turned down the poems later. And, um, I know it's pretty rare that anything catches my eye and then usually it doesn't make it all the way either, even if it does, but maybe that happens, but we do move really fast because you have to, I mean, if you do the math, if you were spending five minutes on each poem and you were getting, uh, you know, 500 poems a day, um, there's not enough time in the day. <laughs> so, so you have to, uh, you have to move quick. Well, that's definitely something I'm continuing to learn is about, <laughs> about having to move quick. I also think, though, too, sometimes, you know, you'll see somebody who maybe if, you know, if you look at their cover letter, which cover letters are a topic, too, we should go into, um, Mark, you addressed it in your article, too. But, you know, they're in need of encouragement in the process or something. And I try to I try to give that when I have time, whenever it's possible. Um, and I think that, too, with this with the whole submission process, you know, there's a you hear a lot of people complaining you know, about how dehumanizing it is and dehumanizing. And the reality is on the other side of it, what people are sending in is by and large, very much like they have fields they could fill out and they choose not to, they put in a, they're not really treating, you know, a lot of times people as humans when they submit. Uh, and then, you know, so I think that it, it cuts both ways is my point on that. And, and let's see, Joe Barca has his hand up. I also want to say before we hear from Joe that I anticipate this being a space that has more questions, um, you know, with Mark Donowski and Timothy Green here 
you know, two of the biggest editors in poetry that can answer your questions about submissions. If you have one, please just ask to speak and raise your hand, and I'll definitely call on you. Now is a good time to, to go ahead and be able to do that. So, But first, let's hear from Joe Barca, who I know is also a reader of poetry submissions as well. How are you doing? Sure. Well, first of all, I do want to mention, and, and maybe we'll rename our group, but I'm a member of Rejection 100 on Facebook. So many of us get rejected quite often and celebrate those rejections um, just because it's so depressing to get rejected a lot, but sort of comes with the space. In my business life, I was a salesperson for years, and so that comes with the territory as well. But on the flip side, it's really been kind of fascinating to be, I'm a reader for Whale Road Review, which is a really cool publication, and to be on the other side is fascinating. And, and I thought I might just share a couple of things that, that I, maybe I've learned or that resonate with me. One is that a lot of publications or Fairmount say, you know, submit up to five poems. And so, and I've heard people encourage me saying, you know, should submit five, blah, 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 your best chances. And in reading, I found that as a reader, three is kind of the optimum number. And I may have a short attention span because one is typically not enough and five is almost too much. So I'd love to hear as I go through a few other things, what, what people think of the number three. And then I was also reading and, and I've submitted to places once where I got accepted and, you know, the editor was effusive and blah, blah, blah. And I thought I was a rock star. And then a year later, I submitted and I get this really bland rejection. I felt kind of depressed. But aside from maybe writing poorer poems, I also realized that maybe not the same people read my poems all the time at the same place. And And then... Thirdly, I want to mention at Whale Road, as a reader, I'm not a decision maker. So what I, I would say is like I'm a tier one filter, meaning during a reading period, I may get uh, 100 poems sent to me and I may uh, write to the editor, uh, Katie Manning, and say, I think that these 15 you should take a close look at. Or if one poet stands out in all their poems, I may recommend a poem and say, read this poem, but read all the poems in this packet. So couple thoughts, couple questions, but it's been fascinating to be on the other side of the table, Katie and everybody. Well, that's super interesting. So when you get these poems to read to, you know, are they asking for a certain number or could you just say, actually, I didn't think any of them were promising? Is it completely up to your discretion? Yeah, I mean, once again, I, I don't know the inner workings, but yeah, totally. I Like I might say, I think you should pass on these three poems or the first poem is outstanding. Please take a close look at it. Or I may say, this poet is amazing. If I had to suggest a poem, it would be the the, thir the fourth one called whatever. But please look at all of them because, you know, she, he, they are amazing. So one other thing I want to throw out is that um, about blind reading and that when poems come to me, and, and these aren't through submittable, I don't think, but there, there's often a cover letter and some bio. And I found at the, initial, at the beginning, I, I read them and I don't know if it's implicit bias or some kind of bias, but I really disliked the bias that was affecting me. So like if it said, oh, this person won a push cart, that influenced me when I read them. So I stopped looking at bios and cover letters and, and I'm a huge fan. I know Rattle does this, but I'm a huge fan of blind reading. So another thought, Katie and team. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. For me, I actually, I'm not that it would ever influence what poem I was going to pick. If I wanted that poem, I, I really, short of the person directly insulting like Rattle or something in the cover letter, like nothing would influence me picking what I thought was the best poem. But I do find it off-putting when people list their accolades. Like, I, I don't really care that you've won all those awards. That's not going to make it more likely that I think your poem is the best. Yeah, especially when we ask, this is a, a kind of a funny thing, but for the entire 20 years, I've been editor here. Our guidelines have asked you not to include the kind of lists of things, and everybody does anyway. <laughs> and so, I mean, like, why do I care? Especially, you used to get these um, when back in the postal submission days, you'd get these sort of two page letters where it was listing like some kind of CV from for a college uh, application or something, listing of hundreds of hundreds of publications as if I cared. And they were just kind of, uh, you know, annoying. But, um, but yeah, so, so for the reading, we, um, you know, for most stuff, we do things differently depending on what category it is. Um, but for Rattle, how it generally works is that we read totally blind, uh, the first read through, and then the second read through and sort of toward the end. And then if I'm trying to decide about, um, you know, if I'm sort of on the fence about a poem, I'll read the note and see if anybody said anything interesting. We have those contributor notes in the back of our issues and beneath the poems where people can say stuff. And a lot of times that is sort of a deciding 
factor. It's sort of the tiebreaker. If there's something really cool there um, that, that makes it fun to read, um, I'll pick that poem. Or if the person seems somebody um, you know, that, that it really mean a lot to. I mean, I can be persuaded that way if I'm on the fence, but only if I'm on the fence, only if you're on that level. And then to go to what Mark was talking about, the truth is too, the opposite happens if it's someone we've published a lot. So if once I sort of demask the poet and look who it is, if I can't decide on the poem, um, you, you sort of lose a, a credit point if we've published you before, is the truth. So, so going back to what Joe Barkas says too, um, you know, I, I want to be publishing new people as much as possible and having a really eclectic mix of people who don't want to have the same people appearing over and over again. And so if, if I love the poem, it doesn't even get to that point where I think about it. But if I'm sort of on the fence and we published you before, we probably won't. And if, uh, if I'm on the fence, we never published it before at all, or if you've never been published at all before, if your list of credits is so tiny, <laughs> then the odds are much improved in that regard too. So yeah, that's how it goes for, for us. Yeah, that, that brings up to a question that Clayton Clark left on your Facebook post about this space, Tim. She said, curious if an editor gets a submission that doesn't slay or make the grade, will future submissions then be tainted for having tried? Um, like, erg, not her, him again. And then she kindly said, I love that Katie gives some inkling of encouragement, which I didn't mean to read, but I put in my notes. So I just read it out loud. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, I'm glad you too. And you're encouraging me to uh, try to, to put more effort into that, which I do. It's just so hard to keep up with the volume of things. But yeah, so if if it's uh, something that you see, it, a lot of times you don't see names. So it's, again, for me, it's only uh, when you get to that phase where you're thinking about it carefully that you'd even look at the name. But if it's somebody who's come close a bunch and you see a lot or you know is participating in a lot of things, I think you're more likely, not less. Like nobody's annoying. It's like you're kind of rooting for them at some point. It's like somebody you see all the time, you know, it, it's some, I don't know, like if, in my softball league, if there's somebody who's always there and he's playing for some other team and I'm rooting for him to hit a home run or something, you know, I'm like, you know, you sort of feel this weird relationship because there's a lot of intimacy too in submissions, which is something that maybe we could talk about even though the show is going on so fast. But, but there's this real intimate connection you have with people because you see their darkest, deepest, most private thoughts really on display in poems too. And so you kind of get to know people even if you don't, um, you know, there's this weird distance, but there's this weird intimacy too, just it goes along with poetry. And so you're really rooting for people who... Um, you know, who you see a lot. And I think that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Um, and so, so, you know, we do. So it, it helps. I think it, it helps if you're, if you're there and you get, you're seen very often and it's not, a, not anything to worry about. Yeah, definitely. I would agree uh, for your answer to Clayton Clark's question that, that it helps. And I, I root very hard for the people who have multiple submissions, because I think Part of it also to me shows that they understand um, sort of the odds of things and, you know, that they're they're realistic about even if they've submitted a bunch of great poems, which the other thing I should say is that the people, at least, you know, in my experience that tend to do multiple submissions, they're the people submitting the better poems. They're likely to be making it into the top tier anyway, because they're writing more and they're working harder on their craft. And the reality is being a great poet takes work and is something that is achievable and you, but is not going to fall out of the sky and hit you in the head. And you're a great poet. It takes work to be an amazing poet. Yeah. Something too, as we talk about tiers that, that should be emphasized, because I don't think people realize this either until you actually look at the submissions, the people who are here, we, we, we all know your poems and have read them on whether it's open lines or here on the poetry space or whatever it is, you're all good poets already. Like the people who work at it are already at that higher tier but there's this whole lower tier of people who just have a passing interest and in, in don't haven't done any kind of the work to get better at expressing themselves. Uh, don't, you know, are still learning what poetry is and does. That's the majority of submissions too. So when we talk about filtering things out, um, I, I, very few times it's anybody who would be in this room or listening to this podcast eventually. It's people who are uh, more, you know, just passing through. And that's a huge number of people passing through, which is strange because we see this sort of small world that is the poetry community and people we see on social media and stuff that are really dedicated to this. But there's a whole world of people who are just sort of have a passing interest and hope maybe someone will like their poem. And it's very different than, uh, than what we have here. That is true. And one such dedicated soul is Bethany Jarmel, who's with us today. She shared some of her questions earlier, but maybe instead of me reading them out, she'd like to ask them herself. So how are you doing today, Bethany? I'm doing well. Um, how are you guys? 
Great. Thanks for joining Great. us. Um, first, I just wanted to say thank you, Katie and Tim, for hosting this space. Um, it's just been great for me. I've been catching up on all of the previous episodes. Um, yeah, so one of my questions, um, and I guess this one is mostly for Tim, um, and that is what are some of the other factors other than the quality of a poem that would affect um, it being accepted? So, like, does it matter what other poems have been accepted for that issue? And um, how do you curate, you know, do you look at how the poems speak to one another when you're curating uh, for an issue? Yeah, well, I actually don't. And I think it's a lot more uh, like Mark's one art than, than Mark maybe assumes even. Um, but we just, we take what we really love and what we remember the next day. And I really love the idea of um, just randomness and how fascinating randomness can be. Um, and so, you know, that's why my book was American Fractal, because I like playing with those concepts. And there's really interesting things emerge when you just let sort of the mystery of the universe play itself out. And so we don't really, you know, we don't, I don't like curate like this poem. We already had a poem about this. So we have a poem about, you know, can't have that again or anything like that. I just, we just take the poems almost in the order they're received um, for our print issues, for Poets Respond. Um, you know, like I said, different categories are a little different. So for Poets Respond, if we've had poems about the same news story over and over and over again, um, we'll, I'll favor a, a different story at that point. But mostly it's just letting the chips fall where they may when a good poem comes along that you want to read and you'll remember next year, you think, or you, that the audience will appreciate. And there's no real, you know, feeling of that. Um, if, if you're looking at poems, though, you know, you see a lot of topics that are covered a lot. And so you see all the things that people are writing about and it does have to be a poem you've never seen before. Like that's kind of a prerequisite. And so if it's a, it's a take on a topic that comes up a lot, that's common, they, that doesn't really have a chance when the more unusual poem will have a much better chance, but it's not like looking at the poems within the issue or anything like that. It's just, um, just knowing sort of the broad scope of, of what people have been writing about and what you've been publishing, I think. And Mark, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, it's it's partially a follow-up question for you, actually. Um, and it's it one art does this and maybe rattle doesn't. Um so I, I don't know if I could easily define a rattle poem, but I would say that I sort of at this point feel like I know what constitutes a quote one art poem when I see it. Um but I do believe that sort of part of the job of being a good curator involves broadening the horizons of your audience or readership. Um, and I wonder, you know, if you, you have that same feeling about the need to broaden the audience and sort of expose them to, to new work and interesting work. Yeah, that's definitely, um, you know, something that is really taken into consideration too. Like when I say we want to publish things we haven't seen before, that's what I'm talking about. I want to push the boundaries of our readers um, push them sort of in, you know, cultural ways, psychological ways, um, poetic ways to, to have their consciousness expanded, which is what I think the mission of poetry actually is. And so, so I'm really like, there's the idea, even when we talk about curation and we say what poems we like, that's not really accurate because I'm not even looking for poems I like. I'm looking for poems I think people will appreciate and remember and want to share and, and want to think back on 10 years from now. And so it might not be a poem that's a poem for me at all, especially with the uh, poet respond political type poems. You know, I mean, nothing is my opinion. And, and, uh, and that's just the case. I'm looking for other people's opinions that other people will find interesting. And then having that perspective of seeing everybody's reaction every single day to poems for the last 20 years. You know, every time I send out an email, uh, with the daily poems, you know, a whole bunch of people email me back and say it's their re reaction on all sides of it. I see every reaction on social media. So I know how people are going to react to poems. And I'm trying to sort of push people's buttons. And then sometimes, you know, having poems that they'll find comforting and, and the old sort of traditional type poem that we usually publish. Um, and then other times pushing boundaries and trying to do different things. I think that's a big part of it. So that, that how, that's how the curation is curated, but it's sort of this broader perspective from my perspective anyway. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about every single, like if you view it as like a bulletin board and every little pin in it as a different poem and trying to create that meta map uh, that you're doing, Tim, with Rattle and that Mark Danowski is doing with One out, one Art. And then we also have another editor with us. We have Roberta Berry, who's the Hyben editor at Modern Haiku with us and probably also has an opinion on all this. How are you doing today, Roberta? Hi, good. Uh, can you guys hear me? Hello? 
Yes, we can. Sorry, okay. my mic wouldn't unmute for a second. Okay. <laughs> um, I just want to say uh, a couple of points that people have raised. Um, one is the getting warm and cuddly with the submitters. I don't do that anymore because it's come back to bite me in the ass um, when the poem is ultimately not accepted. And I'm the Hyben editor, but I'm not the editor of the whole modern haiku. That's Paul Miller. And I've had people write to him and complain and like cut and paste my emails a couple of times. So I don't, I, I, I also personally prefer like the hard no in a rejection. So I guess if, unless somebody has come back and asked for guidance or, you know, asked specifically, like in good faith, why didn't I take this? I don't really have the time to go into a lot of detail, but I just wanted to give you my personal take on things that don't work for me for submissions. Um, you can submit up to three hyphen at a time. Somebody was talking earlier about three being the perfect number of submissions, and I guess I would have to, you know, say yes to that. And um, also, but for the three that you submit, I don't understand why people do this, but that's three opportunities to stretch the form in various ways. And I'll often get the same kind of high bun, almost, you know, either topic or the way it's structured, like times three. And to me, that's a squandered opportunity. Um, it, because if I don't like it in the first one, what the submitters done, I'm not going to like it in the next two. And I do try to tell people that, and I think it's even in our uh, Kaiban Guy book that we wrote, you know, that was just published, but I, I people can still keep doing it. And um, also, I don't, I don't read the cover. Um, somebody else said they don't read the cover notes either. I know Paul Miller doesn't, because a lot of times there are things like I was, my house was in, engulfed in flames, or I broke my leg, or something like that. And it just, it colors my reading. I agree that it colors the reading, and the and modern haiku is not a blind um, submission. You know, it doesn't do blind submissions. That's the editorial policy. It's not my policy. I'd probably want to do them blind if I had the choice. And we also don't do simultaneous submissions. So it does cut down on the people who submit. I mean, we still get tons of submissions, but also because the same people were submitting and getting in, I now instituted a rule for the last couple of years that if you've been in, we publish three times a year. If you have a high bun in once during that year, don't submit until the next um, year. And, th and that's to get new voices in and people who are also new to the form. And I will give more leeway to people who, who say that they're new to the form and they're giving it a try because I, I respect that. And I can also see the people that don't respect me as an editor that don't send in polish work. And especially if it's somebody I know well because the, the Japanese forms community, I've been doing it since the like mid nineties. And so I pretty much know most of the people around the world and uh, it really ticks me off when they don't send in polish work. The people who, you know, I know do send, do have published very good stuff and have it in them. So that's, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, to, that's I'm sorry to be kind, sorry to be kind of negative, but. Um, yeah, uh, see, those are all good points uh, from, from the editor's perspective. And the same thing happens too. You know, you, you publish a great poem by someone and then they send stuff that's not their best work. And you think, oh, they, well, they obviously think they have a back door and they can just put, their leftovers on our table or something <laughs> like no, right i'm sorry uh, i mean the other point you raised i think i think uh, mark danowski wanted to talk about this too and maybe that's why he had his hand up but the um the idea of giving feedback on submissions and how to do a, a rejection letter too when you're speaking it's it's a really interesting strange skill to be speaking to um, a whole bunch of people at once and um you know so, so you want to say you want to be encouraging to the people who are um, you know, just starting out and not making them feel bad, but then you don't want to be belittling and pedantic to the people who've been submitting for 20 years, you know? And so there's a complication there. And then there's the complication too of who wants feedback and who doesn't. And right. so that's why I pretty much, I do the same thing as you. I don't send a whole lot of feedback. If I do send feedback, it's like, I like this poem best. Or I like the ending of this right, poem. Yeah. Like one sentence, that's all I say right. about what I liked. 
And if uh, anybody wants feedback, I say they can go to uh, the critique of the week, which is actually why I started doing that. Right. So yeah, that's like, good. Oh, why don't you give feedback? I can say, well, submit, submit this poem to the critique of the week. We'll talk about it for 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, so, I, um, I also think what yeah. a lot of people who submit don't realize is that we're all submitting too, and we're getting rejections. And I would actually never go back to somebody who sent me a rejection and say anything. You know, I, don't, I just know as an editor that it's just easier if you, you know, you want to talk than send me something good next time or something like that. So I don't engage personally. And I tell people that who complain to me that I didn't put enough time in, which is ridiculous because that modern haiku is a volunteer thing. And I put tons of time into that. So I do say I personally get rejections. Whoever was talking about the rejection 100, I mean, I don't belong to that group because I'm not really on Facebook very much, but I, I, I get I, I think I aim for like, I don't know, 600 rejections a year or something. I mean, I get them all the time. I get several a day, you know, just because I'm submitting a lot. And I, I, I think it's kind of um, not great to say to the editor, like, you really hurt my feelings, you know, by this. And this was a very personal thing I wrote to you and you just gave me a, I think we say is where is declined uh, for the next issue or something like that, you know, and um I, I just, I don't know, I, I'm just thinking that people don't get it unless they've been in either as a reader from a journal or as an editor, you know, they don't really see the, that glimpse into the other side, what it's, what it's like. Well, I suppose yeah. we're all yeah. new to it at once. So <laughs> That's true. Points, Roberta. I think also we should go to Dick Westheimer, who has a lot of experience, you know, with submissions and doing it, doing it the right way and everything. How are you doing today, Dick? I'm doing great. I thought you were going to end your sentence by saying has a lot of experience with rejections, because that's sort of why I was um, I was chiming in that I think there's at least for me, the more rejections I get, the more actually I appreciate editors. I, I or maybe, you know, I'm, I don't know exactly how to put that, but most editors are volunteers. Most editors are doing this because they love this whole curation, even though they might call it publication, we'll call it curation thing, um, as much as I love writing poems. And they're none of them. I can't imagine uh, an editor who loves to turn down poems, loves to make that choice between a po two poems they love, but one fits better into their, their journal. Um, I, I just, in my imagination, know that 99.9, .9, probably all the editors that I submit to um, love what they're doing. And, you know, I do get, I, I shouldn't say get my feelings hurt when I get that, that um, rejection, which like Roberta, um, I have hundreds, hundreds in a year, um, maybe not hundreds, uh, but uh, that more, more than 100, close to 200, is that you, you um, they do sting and then you move on and you appreciate the work that the that the uh, curators are doing and if i get a clumsily worded rejection letter you know people are trying their best <laughs> and and i just i you know maybe they're insensitive about writing letters that doesn't change the fact that i like their journal um or like their curation if if they're clumsy about that so i, I i'm just um, you know, I, I just figure editors are in this for the same reason I am, because they love poetry. They just love doing a different part of it than I do. Um, and the second thing I wanted to say is one of the things that I appreciate about both uh, Mark, uh, One Art, and, and Rattle is the accessibility and the demystification of the process, that I think that makes it, I, I, I would hope you all get fewer uh, middle of the night angry rants from folks just because you're so transparent about what you do. Um, and, you know, I do know because of how painful sometimes it is to have your, your, your sweet little thing you sent out there rejected. Um, I can understand that folks who have, you know, a more tenuous uh, relationship to their tempers occasionally losing it. 
but um, I assume that they're fewer for those of you who are accessible and demystifying the process. Um, and then I did have a question, and this may be for Mark. I'm not sure, but I might have missed this earlier, that this notion that you know many folks take four or five or three poems. When they take five, I always submit five. And I'm wondering, is that a a cue if somebody is submitting five that they don't really respect your time as much as if they would have submitted four? Is that does that put folks out of sorts? Or just how do, how do editors in general feel about you just maxing out every time you send them work? Thank you, Dick. I, I really appreciate you um, circling back uh, using corporate terms for some reason uh, to that topic because I, I was hoping we'd return to it since the three poem submission versus five or six came up. And uh, I actually do prefer, generally speaking, when people max out the submission amount. I've actually debated on upping it to six from five, um, especially since I've had to institute waiting two months between submissions instead of just one month. Uh, I'd rather have more material to look at. Um, and we discussed earlier how we, you know, you learn to go through it pretty quickly. Uh, and I, I like the opportunity, uh, just especially because of the style that one art publishes in for the chance to put together a really good set of poems. Uh, and in some circumstances, you know, someone will send me poems and I'll like say two of the five, uh, and they, they just really go well together. And there's this sense that they probably have more in the same vein. And I'll email, uh, you know, a response with a follow up asking if they have any more that go with this kind of set. And sometimes that ends up being a larger set and they end up, you know, with a five poem set that comes out in one art. I have to say, too, in that vein, I love, Roberta, your point about hitting different notes, you know, within a submission. And I, I think that that's something I've been guilty of is not doing that as much in the submissions that I send out. So I'm going to be approaching my own submissions, I think, with that in mind, hitting different notes. If, if you don't want to hear the same song played three different ways when you're reading a submission. Right. right. Yeah, that's a good thing to keep in mind, at least for modern haiku. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think a good advice. I think that maxing out is, is a. I don't think it matters much to me, but it does is a, is a sort of a signal that you read the guidelines. So I think I definitely go for maxing out what's suggested, and then uh, and then having a variation. We talk about on the critique the weekend stuff that um, that uh, Kim Stafford's suggestion about titles: do the short one, the long one, and the weird one. Kind of think about submissions that way. Do the max they say. And then throw in a weird one at the end for sure, because you never know which one's going to be published and which one's going to be most interesting. One thing as editors, we read a lot of poems. And, you know, everybody, Mark and Roberta can attest to this too. And you're sort of looking for unusual things. And so what you might think is weird, we might think of as fresh and interesting as opposed to um, what you think is, is typical. I wanted to talk about submission guidelines because Mark Banowski hasn't, uh, his article inspired uh, this, this episode. We haven't really talked too much about the guidelines. And there's something, Mark, that I think um, happens. I think it's, um, you know, you say, I think the article was don't uh, stop making your submission guidelines so complicated, right? And I think um, th there's a way that that it's sort of part of the system that they inevitably become complicated. It's, it's just one of these things with the way the world works, the way feedback loops work. But you get a lot of questions about, you know, what size font should I use? What kind of font should I use? What line spacing should I use? And then as an editor, you're like, well, I'll cut these questions off at the knees and I'll put it in the guidelines. Then you end up with guidelines that are so long, nobody reads them because they're so complicated. And so it's really, it's another balance. It's similar to that balance of how personal do you want to be with a rejection letter is how much detail you want to go into the guidelines. And I really liked, I wanted to point out what Only Poems does. They're, that new submission, uh, Karan Kapoor and Shannon Mann have been here on the poetry space before a couple of times. And I, I love what they do because they have some things. They say like, we like E.B. Garriman, 13 point font size, 1.15 line spacing. If you're submitting prose poems, we like it when you justify your paragraphs. If you're able to do this uh, for formatting for technical reasons, that's totally fine. And I think having, um, you know, maybe breaking out guidelines into like, just send us poems, don't worry about it. If you care, <laughs> here's some things you can follow if you're going to ask more detailed questions. Maybe that's the answer to um, the complicated submission guidelines. What do you think about that, Mark? I agree. That's essentially uh, 
partially the answer. And I do think Only Poems is, is doing a great job right out the gate. And I like their strategy of, uh, you know, featuring one poem or one poet a week is, is very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I put it out there, you know, uh, as a sort of thing to ponder, but it, it really is a catch-22. Um, you know, the one art guidelines are fairly extensive and part of that is just we've had the need to add things you know recently there's a lot of people including myself have felt the need to add something about ai generated content or if it's okay to use any sort of assistance you know in your research uh for poems related to gpt or something like that um so yeah, there's there's a lot to consider, and it's it would be difficult to unpack uh, in a, like thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, I think. I think also to talk about only poems. Another aspect I like about about how they're handling submissions is even just you know in the little clip that you read, Tim, how positive it is and how it builds up this positive experience. Because what are you doing when you're submitting your poem to somebody? What you're doing is saying, hey, I I you know made this. I'd like you to just consider it and look at it and read it. And it really is the way I see submissions is, you know, you're, you're asking something of somebody, you're asking them to look at your work. And so even, you know, if it's not the poem, the one poem that's picked out of however many, you know, that doesn't mean you haven't gained something from that. You've gained some, some sort of sense of connection, however small, which in this world is valuable, no matter how tiny. Yeah, really well said, Katie. Um, uh, what's your perspective on this whole submission guidelines thing that Mark was saying? You know, because you do read a lot of submission guidelines. You are a master at gaming systems because you're a master of gaming. So you're always looking at something you can uh, take advantage of. But so so yeah, I think you read them pretty carefully. What do you think? Um, how detailed do you think a submission guideline should be for a publisher? Well, it's a good question because, well, Mark and I were talking about this before the space, but I think that given Tim's question, I have to go ahead and say that I'm really excited that with One Art and Mark Danowski, we're going to be doing a haiku issue this year. So I'm going to be fielding submissions there. So one thing I've been working on recently is writing my own guidelines for the first time for haiku submissions. So, of course, I used as a model largely rattles and One Art's. As, as a way to look at that. But my big thing was that I wanted to focus on what's important to me, which when it comes to these haiku submissions, it's getting haiku that are real haiku. Um, that is not, you know, five, seven, five short poems. And so I, I focused on that in the in the submissions and then tried to make everything as, as simple as possible because I do think the guidelines get out of control. I think another thing that happens is because journals are so busy is that, you know, a new thing comes up, like Mark was talking about with AI, where people need to add on, you know, something that, I, that addresses that onto the guidelines. And what can so easily happen because every journal is underpaid and overworked, uh, everyone on staff pretty much, uh, they just get tacked on when, in fact, the whole guidelines needs to be reevaluated on a rolling basis, probably more. We need to do better as editors at editing our own guidelines is pretty much, I think, what it comes down to. Yeah, we definitely do. And I realize looking at my submission guideline page at Rattle, I have the bullet points up top and then the details. I keep forgetting to update the details at the bottom. So it still says we're looking for collaborative poems, even though that issue is being proofread right now. So right after the space, I have to go back and update my guidelines. Well, perhaps every poem is a collaboration with the subject matter with it. Yeah, I guess so. So we have to wrap it up, Katie. I think we are on a tight schedule, but it's uh, great to talk to everybody about this. Hopefully we covered a lot of questions everybody had. I think we managed to cover a good amount in this time. Of course, I wish we could spend hours talking to this, but I have to go to the dentist. This is a full boring reason why we have to end this on time. But I wanted to close this out with a Mary Oliver poem that to me speaks to sort of the fear on both sides of either taking submissions or putting submissions out there. Um, so I'm going to pin it to the top. I already did. Okay. And so this is just called, I worried. I worried a lot. Will the garden grow? Will the rivers flow in the right direction? Will the earth turn as it was taught? And if not, how shall I correct it? Was I right? Was I wrong? Will I be forgiven? Can I do better? Will I ever be able to sing? Even the sparrows can do it. And I am well, hopeless. Is my eyesight fading or am I just imagining it? Am I going to get rheumatism, lockjaw, dementia? Finally, I saw that worrying had come to nothing and gave it up and took my old body and went out into the morning and sang. 
So for me, this poem just speaks to the fact that anytime, you know, you are submitting a poem or reading a submission, you know, you're connecting with another person on some level and continuing the practice of poetry and spreading it, um, which everyone did by joining us in this space today. And thank you so much to everyone who joined us as a speaker or sent us questions in before the space. I learned a lot and I'm really grateful to everyone and especially to Mark Donowski on this one for writing that wonderful article for Lit Mag News that um, helped inspire the episode. But first, we have to say what we're going to be talking about next week, Timothy Green. Do you remember? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't remember at all. <laughs> oh, God. I better, I better pull up my notes again and get off. Oh, okay. I remember. I remember. Yay. I remember. Yay. Okay. Okay. Great. We're doing, ex, ex, wait, am I right? We're doing. No, ex, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, we're doing turns, poetic turns. Which was a suggestion from Joe Barca. So thank you. We're excited to do that. You know, looking a lot at Volta's. Um, for, you know, as a poetic turn in sonnets, but we wanted to call it something a little bit more approachable than Volta's. That sounds like maybe for some people we're talking about the Paris Olympics. So <laughs> yeah, we wanted to have a more, uh, more poetry intensive show with more, more poem samples to read. So that'll be a fun one yeah. for next week. Yeah. yeah. So if you, if you come it, across a poem that has a particularly good turn, um, please, please send it to me so we can look at having on the space. We're going to read a lot more poems next week. Yeah, yeah, and a great episode today. Thanks, everybody. I think that the way to summarize this episode is that, that editors are rooting for you. And so I think uh, I think that's a good thing uh, to keep in mind. We heard that from everybody we heard from. So uh, we're all rooting for you. Poems are great. We love poems. And uh, keep them coming. Hard to summarize it better than that. Great job. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much, Tim. And thanks so much, everybody. And have a great week. Bye. Bye. Bye.